to the book of Ruth. We're going to be taking a look at the book of Ruth. I'll let you know ahead of time. We're not going to finish the book of Ruth unless you come back Sunday night. And then you'll get to hear the end of the story. Otherwise, well, you could always read it yourself and get to the end. But uh, the book of Ruth, guys, is written at us during the time of the judges. Now, I want to give you a little background on the time of the judges so you can get a sense of, of what the world was like then. You see, times would be really good, and the children of Israel would forget about God. And then as they forgot about God, suddenly they would find themselves in bondage. And when they were in bondage or in affliction, they would cry out to the Lord, and God would send them a judge. The judge would come and deliver them out of bondage and take them into a time of prosperity where they would grow complacent and they would forget about God. They would find themselves in bondage. And then the Lord would give them a judge to deliver them out of bondage and they would enter into a time of prosperity, which time they would become complacent. And then they would forget about God. And then they would, you guys see a pattern, right? Okay, the entire book of Judges can be summed up in uh, chapter 21, verse 25. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. When you have that kind of a mindset, and we're facing the, the issues that we face in, in each of our day-to-day life, the, the, the storms that come, the challenges, the trials, when we have no king in our life, and we're just doing what's right in our own eyes, The book of Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. It's God that knows how to get through the minefield of life, right? It's God who knows where to put our right foot and our left foot and how to guide us through the challenges that lay before us. During the time of the judges, people weren't doing that. I don't know how different we are today. It's much easier for us, especially in the United States, isn't it? If, if there's a challenge to look at the checkbook and see if we got enough to take care of it. Or if we face an illness to, to our first thought, go to the doctor and see Kim. And we have all these things right at our fingertips because life is good, right? We're prosperous. Things are going well. So as we consider, as we go through the book of Ruth, Ruth is written during that time. But it's written to us as a gem, as something that should stand out to us and say, look at what God is able to do with our lives. Listen, Jesus made us all a promise, and I bet most of us don't have it on our refrigerator. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Nobody has that one posted. We don't put that up or frame it and put it on a wall of the house. But Jesus told us in this world we would have tribulation but what else did he say but be of good cheer for i have overcome the world listen what jesus promises us is a life in which we will face challenges a life in which we will face the storms a life in which we'll face heartache he never promises us that it's going to be easy when we put our, our hand in his he promises us That no matter how things get, no matter what way things may twist and turn in our life, that he is able to turn it all to gold. For the beginning of of Kathy and my marriage, we had a a rough time. And when we were at our 20-year anniversary, which a lot of people never said we'd make it past one or two, 
There was polls all around North Carolina when we were in North Carolina to guess how soon it was before we were going to fall apart. But when we hit 20, we went to Israel. We stood up on a promenade overlooking the entire city, and we renewed our vows. And we bought rings in Israel, and the rings say in Hebrew, to give them beauty for ashes. Because it doesn't matter how we start or what challenges we face or what struggles come or what difficulties ensue, God, if we trust him, can turn it all to gold. Folks, the Bible tells us one story, Genesis to Revelation, God's redemption of man, how God is able to redeem, how you plug any God into any situation and everything changes, doesn't it? Everything changes when we do that. And that's what we read in the book of Ruth. Well, let's take a look. We got a long way to go and a short time to get there. So, Ruth... Chapter 1, verse 1. Here we go. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. Listen, this is such an important thing for us to grasp. Because in my life, every time a, a challenge or a struggle would come, every time I would face affliction, I thought God was mad at me. And that because God was mad at me, this was my punishment. I didn't do right today. I I didn't read my Bible enough or I hadn't prayed or I had sinned. I had done something wrong. And so now I have to face the inevitable inevitable beating that, that God will give. Folks, we need to realize that 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 wrath of God against sin was poured out on Jesus Christ at the cross. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. We we are not being punished. What God is doing is he recognizes how we work, right? Remember the book of Judges? When did the people come to the Lord? In affliction, right? It's in the furnace of affliction that we draw near to the Lord. That's how we're made. That's how we're made. I mean, it's, it's just the way we tick. When times are tough, we draw near to the Lord. When times are good... We tend to drift. So the Lord said in the word, this is how you'll know if you're drifting away from me. I will not send the rain and a famine will come. The famine wasn't punishment. You've done wrong again. And I need to to punish you. The famine was God calling out, hey guys, you're forgetting me. All you have to do is look up, here I am, here I am. And they look up, cry out to the Lord and, and God would deliver them. Isn't that what he did all throughout the book of Judges? So the famine that they face in the promised land is always a signal to look to the Lord. That we're drifting from the Lord. And so there's a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, began to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now we're going to do a little bit, have a little fun with some Hebrew today. And looking at some of the meanings of some of these names. For example, I'm sure many of you know, Bethlehem is the house of bread. And Judah means praise. So when we talk about Bethlehem, Judah, we talk about the house of bread in the land of praise. So we have a family living in the house of bread in the land of praise and there's a famine. You ever been right where God wants you to be? In in the place where you ought to be, in the promised land, in the house of bread, in the land of praise, and, and just felt distant? Just felt like something's not clicking, something's not miss, or something is missing? When we get that way, it's God. He's waving his hands. 
Maybe we've gotten busy about the job. Maybe we've gotten busy about accumulating things, building up stuff. Uh, all those things that we can get focused on and forget about the Lord. If we're feeling empty, if we're feeling disconnected, it wasn't God who moved. It was us. And so this is what's going on. Bethlehem, the, the, the house of bread, and Judah, the land of praise. He and his wife and his two sons go to Moab. Listen, he lifted up his eyes. He looked across the plateau and he saw green grass in Moab. Bethlehem, it's not raining. Crops aren't growing. Moab, things are green. And he looks over there and he thinks the grass is greener on the other side. And that's where I ought to be. But Moab's outside of the promised land, folks. Moab was outside of the land that God gave him. This was not a sign from God, go to Moab. In fact, one of the things we realize is this, folks, where is the grass green? It's green where you water it. If you water the grass in Moab, it's going to be green in Moab. If you water the grass at home, it'll be green at home. It's all about our attitude. It's all about how we want to see the, the, our surroundings. It says the name of the man was Elimelech. Elimelech means my God is king. The name of the man was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. Oh, that's pretty cool. My God is king, is married to pleasant, and the names of their two sons were Malon and Chilion. Have you ever wondered where your folks picked your name from? I wondered that for a while while I was growing up. When I went to school and the teacher would say, Is Jackie here? And I lift my hand, and all the boys start snickering. Jackie's a girl's name. You think he knows Jackie's a girl's name? <laughs> if that wasn't bad enough, I went to the Marine Corps. Let me just tell you the kind of fun they had with Jackie. Oh, they had a ball with the, with the name. And, uh, you know, it was too long to try to explain to him that my dad was a big Johnny Cash fan, and he liked the song A Boy Named Sue, but instead of naming me Sue, he named me Jackie. It was okay. I made it through. Well, listen, I got nothing on Melon and Chilion. <laughs> Melon and Chilion, man, I don't even know how they got through school. Listen, Melon is the oldest. When he was born, his dad named him Melon. It means sickly. Way to go, Pop. You got way down there in that list of names, right? Folks, when you're going through the Bible looking for Bible names to name your children... Don't stop on Melon. Just let it go on by. But he's thinking, I got it better than Chilion, because Chilion means crybaby. <laughs> so my God is king, married the pleasant, had two kids who apparently he didn't like very much. He named one sickly. He named the other one crybaby. They gather together. They're in the promised land, in the land of promise, but they see green grass outside of the promised land and he packs up his family and he moves the bible says in the book of psalms the lord said moab is my wash pot it means moab is a place of dirty water they worshiped false gods they sacrificed their children to gods it's not a nice place you remember how moab got its start when Lot and his two daughters were in Sodom and Gomorrah, the angel took them out of the land. They went to a cave, and his two girls thought it was the end of the world. Well, they apparently brought at least one thing from home, wine. And they got their dad drunk, 
And the Bible says when he was so drunk that he didn't, couldn't recognize one thing from another, the older daughter lied with him. And then the next day, the younger daughter lied with him. Their children, the firstborn's name was Moab. He's the father of the Moabites. And the secondborn was Amnon. He was the father of the Ammonites, both traditional enemies of the nation of Israel. That's where they got their beginning. Moab was, was cursed from the beginning. Moab's not a good place, not a safe place. But dad, my God is king. He's not talking to the Lord. In fact, you're not going to see the Lord's name in the first five verses. Because all he can see is times are tough and there's green grass over there. So that's where I'm going. I'm leaving the promised land and I'm headed to Moab. So uh, they were Ephrathites of Bethlehem, verse 2 says, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Now what that little word Ephrathites means is that they were famous. They were part of a famous family in Bethlehem. And yes, it's the same Bethlehem where Jesus is going to be born. And, and Bethlehem really is not all that much bigger than Buell. It's, it's around 5,000 population, small town. It's a, it's a town that has enjoyed great anonymity. Why? Because the Messiah, the Mashiach Nagid, picked that place to be born, to come and be born in the stable. Well, let's go on. It says... In verse 3, then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And the first thing, guys, the first thing people want to say is, well, you see, he, he didn't do what God wanted him to do, and so God smote him. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says he went to Moab, and in Moab he died. Do you realize that the, the consequences to our choices have an effect on us and others, don't they? I make a decision. I'm going to move my family from the promised land to outside the promised land, from the house of bread to the wash pot, from clean living to dirty water. And think about it. Elimelech, they followed the strict Jewish dietary laws. They, they had a certain way about how they, they conducted themselves in the city. And he moved to Moab where they had none of those rules. Is it so shocking that he would get sick and die? He moved from the house of bread to dirty water. And Elimelech died. Well, what's the scripture say? And it says now, he left his wife, Naomi, pleasant. She was left and her two sons. And they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Folks, no famine lasts that long. No famine lasts for 10 years, but they, they stayed in that place. They were comfortable. They, were com- they got comfortable in the dirty water. They got comfortable living in that land, outside of the promised land, outside of, of God's will. They were already in a place of complacency when they saw the green on the other side, and they went to it, and they made a home. And now her two sons, sickly and crybaby, have married two Moabite women. They're married to Gentiles. Well, the scripture goes on to tell us now in verse 5, then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Again, people want to look and say, that's God's judgment. They're somewhere they're not supposed to be, but really it's a consequence of their choice. God's uh, work in chastisement and trying to bring them to where they were supposed to be was the famine. Not to make them run away, but to make them come to Him. 
But isn't that what we do sometimes? When life gets hard, we face a struggle, things are a little bit rough. We got two choices, right? We can draw near to the Lord or we can run away. Remember the promise that Jesus gave. He didn't promise us that life would not have pain. But he did promise that he would work all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Right? The devil don't make that promise, folks. He promises hurt, pain, discontent, emptiness, and he'll deliver. Jesus, on the other hand, says, you're going to go through those things too. But I have the ability to give you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Isn't that what Jesus said there in that little synagogue in in Nazareth when he stood up and he read Isaiah 61 and he closed up the book and he said, today, these words are fulfilled in your hearing. Telling the people, I'm the Messiah. I'm I'm the promised one. And they cast him away. Wanted to throw him off the edge of a cliff. And he said, a prophet has no honor in his own hometown, right? Jesus began his earthly ministry, but the point was he can make good out of things that are upside down. Is it ever too late to go home? Is it ever too late to stop the direction you're going? Turn around and say, man, I've wasted too much time. I need to go back in the other direction. It's never too late. It's never too late to go home. God never stops waiting like the father for the prodigal son, does he? Where was he waiting for the son? Right out on the porch, right? Sitting in that rocking chair looking down the road. He knew when when my son comes home, he's coming down this way. And he stayed there day by day by day waiting until the day he saw his son coming. And then what did he do? He runs over to him and throws his arm around him. My son who was dead. He's alive again. Well, here we're looking at a prodigal family. A prodigal family out running out lost. In verse 5, she's, everything's gone. Her husband's gone. Her sons are gone. So in verse 6, it says, And she arose with her daughter-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. First time God's name's mentioned in the book of Ruth. Sixth verse. And it's the covenant name of God. It's the very name of God. When you look in your Bible and you see a capital L-O-R-D, Tetragrammaton, the, the, the Yahweh, it's the Y-H-V-H, the, the consonants of God's name. She uses the very name of God and she's realizing, hey, there's bread back home. Remember when the prodigal son was in the pig pen? There came a point where he realized, you know, the servants in my father's house are, are better treated than this. I'm going home. This is that day for Naomi. She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. Was it God's punishment? No. But in the furnace of affliction, what do we do? We look to the Lord. And so in her furnace of affliction, she looked to the Lord. She wants to go home. She recognizes there's bread back home. And so in verse 7, it says, So she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law went with her. They went on the way to return to the land of Judah. They're gathered together. Three women, all bound together by what? Fellowship of suffering. Right? All three lost their husbands. All three were familiar with loss. All three were in a place where, man, I'm living in dirty water. I'm here in the trash can. I know there's something better for me. I know there's something better in the land of praise, in the house of bread. 
I need to go where God is. I want to go to the place that God wants me to be. And there I'll find rest. Even though times are rough, that's the place where God will turn it all to gold. And so they get up and they begin their journey. They begin their journey to go back. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have, has, have dealt with the dead and with me. Now, Jewish tradition says they went four miles outside of Moab and then they stopped. And then Naomi says, guys, why are you coming with me? What can I give you? What, what hope do I have of, of, of establishing you? I don't even know how I'm going to feed myself. She had nothing. The land was gone. She had everything that they had sold to get to Moab. Now they're just walking away from Moab. She's going back to, to, to the promised land destitute with nothing. In our own journey with the Lord, don't we each at some point or another reach that place in our walk? We reach that place before we reach out to the Lord for salvation where we're at the rock bottom. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to, to make things better. But I know that God is the answer. When we come to that place, that's where Naomi is. But she's telling her daughters-in-law, hey, guys, I don't have anything I can give you. So they turn to her and they say, surely we will return with you and with your people. Do you notice there are two kinds of people in the world? One who can give lip service and the other who give real service. Have you noticed that it's real easy to say with your lips the words, I love you or I promise or I'll do this? But it's a whole other thing when you meet a person who, when they say it, they're going to do it. Well, we're going to see an example of that. Naomi says to them, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Listen, in Deuteronomy 25, there was something called the Leverite marriage. The Leverite marriage meant that a, a family name would never depart from the nation of Israel. If a a woman was married to a man and and he died without giving them children, then there would be a kin, the brother perhaps of the family who would then take that woman as his wife to father a child for his dead brother. And then that son would be given the name of the man who had died so that he would not disappear from the face of Israel, but that the name would carry on. This was part of God's plan. And what Naomi's saying is, I don't have no more kids. I don't have any more kin. I mean, I'm, I, seriously, guys, I have nothing to give you. No hope. Naomi just knows she's supposed to go home, but she doesn't have hope, guys. She doesn't have that feeling that God is watching over her. Now, you and I, we know because we're reading the story that there must be a happy ending, right? I mean, something good must come of all this. So as we're reading through, we can read the fingerprints of God. But, but Naomi and Ruth and Orpah, they, they can't see it. You know, if you put yourself in the story, in your lives right now, today, the things that you're going through, the struggles you're facing, maybe you can't see the fingerprints of God. But just like in Naomi's life, just like in Ruth's, God's all over, all over orchestrating, moving creating opportunity for them to be in the place that God meant for them to be in all along. And he's going to accomplish that perfect work. Well, it says in verse 12, she says to her daughters, turn back and go for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and would bear sons, would you wait until they were grown? 
Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters. It grieves me very much for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now, I bet we felt that way before. I know I felt that way before. When bad things would come into my life, the hand of the Lord is against me. Man, I was bad. I'm wrong. Something's wrong. God's punishing me. God's punishing me for what's happening in my life. God's punishing me for the choices that I made. Guys, God's not punishing anybody. That punishment was set aside for His Son to bear. When we come to Jesus Christ, we reach out to Him and He gives us salvation. The punishment is done. Jesus bore it for us. He bore it for us. It's not God's punishment. We need to change our attitude. We need to flip it. We need to turn it around and realize what's happening in our lives is going to work together for good to bring us into the place that God wants us to be so that we can have beauty for ashes. And so this is the work that God's doing in their life. Well, Naomi, she's a little bitter. Naomi, she's a little frustrated with God. She doesn't realize the promise of Jer- Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. She doesn't realize that, that God has a plan in her life. She thinks, I messed up 10 years ago when we left, and now I have to pay the price. But God is still working. Even though she's in a place of faithlessness, even though she's in a place of bitterness, even though she is not being a great example, God's still there. God's still drawing. God's still working. God's still loving. And He calls us to do the same. And so, as she continues to tell her daughters-in-law, it says, Then they lifted up their voices and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Folks, that's going to be the difference between the two kinds of people. Orpah kissed her. She was glad to come. She gave her a kiss on the cheek. It was all fun and games, but Orpah's not staying, folks. Orpah's going home. Ruth clung to her. What is your relationship with Jesus like? Is it a, a relationship where we come on Sunday morning and we, we come close and, and it's, it's nice and, and it feels good and, we, and we're giving him a kiss? Or are you like Ruth and you're clung to him? Remember Jacob? Jacob, you know, the the supplanter, the deceiver, the liar. Remember the day when he wrestled with God? He hung on to God for all he was worth, wasn't he? And when he did that, all the way to the morning, he's hanging on to the Lord, hanging on to the Lord. He's facing horrible things in his life. God reaches down and changes his name, doesn't he? You're not the deceiver anymore. You're not Jacob. You're Israel. Governed by God. What was the difference? It wasn't just a surface thing. It wasn't just lip service. He clung to the Lord. Like we see here in the picture as Ruth clings to Naomi. Ruth means what she says. She's going to follow through. Orpah, she's going home. And so she said to her in verse 15, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Go with her. Here's Here's the Jewish legend, guys. The Orpah and Ruth followed Naomi four miles out of the city. That when they gathered together to pray, Orpah cried four tears. And then she went home. And so God gave her four sons. The name of her oldest son was Goliath. Ruth clung to Naomi. She's going to go into the promised land. 
She's going to be wed. She's going to be redeemed. And she is going to have a child who is going to have a child that has a little boy with a sling. Two choices were made on this road. The legend says, not in the scripture. Two choices made on this road. One led one way, one the other. And that's the way it is in our life. We face choices, don't we? Do I move to Moab? Do I stay here? Is this where God wants me? Is that where God wants me? How is God directing me? Our choices carry with them consequences. Man, we want to know that we know this is what God is calling us to. This is the way God is directing. We want to cling to Him, hold on to Him, and allow God to govern our decisions. We don't have the ability to know good from bad, right? Did I tell you all the story about knowing good from bad? It's a farmer story. Not that I know anything about that. But that's how it starts. There was this farmer working a field. And as he's working his field, a, a fellow comes into town one day and he, he gives him a horse. And his neighbors all come to him and say, man, that's so good. You gave us a horse. That's great news. And so what happens? The farmer says, well, I don't know if it's good or bad. We'll see. Well, his son gets on the horse the next day, falls off a horse, breaks his leg. And all his neighbors come to him and say, well, you're right, it was bad. You shouldn't have got that horse. And the old farmer said, whether it's good or bad, we don't know. And the next day, a guy rode into town to gather up conscripts for the army. And they were taking every able-bodied young man. But his son had a broken leg, so he couldn't go to war. And all his neighbors came to him and said, well, you're right. I guess it was a good thing that you got that horse. And the farmer said, whether it's good or bad... We don't know. Well, they went away to war. They won a great battle. They were all given riches. And they came home with all kinds of gold. And his neighbors all came to him and says, Well, you were right. That horse wasn't a good thing. (laughs) And later on that week, a bunch of robbers broke into town and robbed all the gold from all the guys who had gone to war. And they all came to him and they said, Well, I guess you're right. The horse was a good thing. At the end of the story, we don't even remember what was good, what was bad. Why? Because we don't have the ability to tell, do we? God can tell. We can't. What's our job? Just like being in that plane and putting up our hands and going, woohoo, when it's dropping. Hey, when, when God's moving in our life, when God is in control, when God's guiding and leading, we need to put up our hands and enjoy the ride. Because God knows what he's doing. Cling to him. Hold to him. Well, Ruth is going to reply to Naomi in some of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. In verse 16, she said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And the Lord... Do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. Folks, that's commitment. She's committed. Not only is she committed, she's calling out on the covenantial name of God. The Yahweh, the, the YHVH. She uses it here in this verse. She is saying, I'm going to put my faith and trust in your God. I'm going to put my, my, my hands or my body in the hands of your people. I want to become like you. I want, to, I want to follow you. I'm going wherever you go. And here we see Naomi, a Jew, 
leading a Gentile into a place of salvation. Does that sound familiar? Like the nation of Israel and the Lord working through the nation of Israel and the result being the Gentiles enter into a time of salvation, the time of the Gentiles. When we read scripture, folks, we have a tendency to read scripture with a Greek mindset. We only see prophecy as prediction and fulfillment. We think we want to take knowledge and plug it into our heads, and that's how we grow. But for the Jewish mindset, you followed someone. You lived where they lived, like the disciples. You went wherever Jesus went. You tried to attach yourself to him. And for the Jewish mindset, prophecy is pattern. That's why you'll see teachers stop and say, this is a picture. If you stand back and look at the picture, you can see Naomi as the nation of Israel and Ruth as the church. One leading the other into a place of salvation. And well, that's what we're going to see as we continue on. Now the scripture goes on. It tells us then, I'm shrinking. (laughs) Okay, it's fixed. Don't worry. Okay, Scripture tells us in verse 18 now, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. And the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was excited because of them, and the women said, is this Naomi? They were excited to see her. She had left. They're part of a farm community. They took, they sold all their land. They left. Now they're coming home. People were happy to see them. They run out and they say, Pleasant has returned. Pleasant has come home. But she said to them, do not call me Naomi, which is pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. You ever been bitter at God? You ever been bitter about the situation you find yourself in? You ever find yourself in a place where, man, I feel like God's just, he's got me again, you know, and, and I'm in a place I don't want to be in. Folks, if we, can, if we can be in a place where we'll trust God, that we'll trust him, that whatever he's doing is, is a move and a work of God. We can hold on to his hands. He's going to deliver us through. It'll save us from bitterness. Because bitterness, Cindy, uh, Pastor Gerald's wife, who went to be with the Lord, she would always say, bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for someone else to die. It just don't work. It affects you. And this is what's going on in Naomi's life. She can't see the hand of God. She doesn't know what the next chapter holds. But we're going to find out, by golly. We're going to see that God is still moving. God is still working. God is still accomplishing. Look what she says in verse 21. I went out full, and the Lord brought me home again empty. So why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? Do you hear it in her heart? I'm I'm frustrated. I'm hurt. I love my husband. I love my sons. We went, we left full. Now, were they full when they left? There was a famine, wasn't it? They left because they thought they didn't have anything. But what did she realize in the furnace of affliction? Well, she had a lot more than she thought she did. And now as she's coming home, she's holding on the bitterness, guys, because she can't see the hands of God working. Folks, you've got to see God's hands working in your life. Even when you think God's forgotten about me, you can be confident of this one thing, that he who has begun a good work in you is going to complete it. He didn't start working on you on the bench and then forget about you, and now he's, you know, in Somalia. 
and you're back here and God, God's forgot about you. He's busy with world events. That's not the way it is, folks. He who began will complete. He's still working. He's still working in Naomi's life, and we're going to see that. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Guess what? It's Passover time. What does Passover speak of? Redemption one day, right? When, when Abraham took his son to the top of Mount Moriah, he named that place Jehovah-Jireh. God will provide himself, for in the mount it will be provided. It all spoke of a sacrifice that was going to take place that would remove sin once and for all. And they just happened to get home at Passover time. They just happened to be in need of redemption. And this just happens to be a redemption story. So let's see the hand of God moving. Now there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. Folks, Boaz means in him there is strength. Boaz is the hero of the story. You see, not only was there the law of the Leverite marriage, so that a man's name would never perish from the nation of Israel, but there was also the law of the kinsman redeemer. It meant that if you had ever come to a place where you had lost all, you lost all hope, but if there was a kinsman redeemer, someone who could put their hand in your hand and put their other hand and supply the need to the debtors, they could restore you. They could restore to you the land. They could restore to you the title. They could restore to you everything that you had lost. And in this story, that's Boaz. Who is that for you and I? That's Jesus Christ. That's Jesus Christ who came, right? Who can put his hand in man's hand because he became man. And who can put his hand in God's hand because he is God. And bridge the gap between us and give us back what we lost. The kinsman redeemer. And so this is who Boaz is. Well, look at verse 2. So... Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So Ruth wants to do something to try to help. Ruth wants to try to be a part of the solution. So she's going to move forward. She's going to do what she thinks God has laid on her heart to do. She's going to glean. This was a welfare system in the Bible. Any farmer who had a land was able to make one pass through that land for harvest. After he made his one pass, the gleaners, the poor, could come in behind and pick up whatever was missed. And that way they held on to their dignity. And that way they also had to work for what they received. And they were often able, by, by holding on to those things in, the, in their own furnace of affliction, to be renewed by the Spirit of God. This was God's plan. So Naomi's going to go glean. And she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Look at this. And she just so happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Anybody here believe in coincidence? I believe in Godowence. There are no coincidence. Folks, the reason we miss the fingerprints of God so many times, the reason we can't always recognize it, is because God works supernaturally in the natural. 
I mean, Ruth's just doing what she thinks, whatever she can do, right? I'm going to go glean. But just so happens to end up in Boaz's field, who just so happens to be a kinsman redeemer, who just so happens to be the one who can save her from, from their destitution, from their lost state, and redeem them and make them new. But she just ends up there. Just random, right? Or it's the fingerprint of God working in her life. She doesn't even know it yet, but we can tell because we're reading, right? We can see God's beginning to move. God's beginning to work. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. He's a godly man, has a godly greeting. And Boaz said to his servants, who's in charge of the reapers and who's that? (laughs) Yeah, well, that's, that's Jackie E's for Bible speak, for whose young woman is that? And so he, the servant who was in charge, the reapers answered and said, it's a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean, gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little while in the house. So Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, won't you? Do not glean in another field or go from here, but stay close to my young women. What's Boaz doing? Boaz sees this beautiful woman. She's a Gentile. He's a Jew. Jews don't marry Gentiles, do they? But but there's something about Boaz that we need to know. Oh, yeah, Boaz had a mom, had a neat story. You go back in the lineage of Boaz, and you come to a woman named... Rahab. Oh, you remember Rahab? Gentile woman who became the bride. Ruth, a Gentile woman becoming the bride. The church, Gentile woman becoming the bride. Do we see the pattern as God works, as God moves? Well, we continue through. So she, Boaz says, stay with my young women and let your eyes be on this field which they reap. And go after them. Have I not commanded the young men won't touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes since, uh, that you have taken notice of me since I am a foreigner? I'm a Gentile. Well, now we understand why, right? Boaz was, was intimately familiar with the story of Rahab, right? Mama? He had, he had understanding of, of how God moved and how God worked. And so he's offering her this grace. He treats her kindly. Boaz answered and said, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since, since the death of your husband and how you have left your father, your mother, the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. So the Lord repay your work and be a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings... You have come for refuge. You know, as Boaz prayed that prayer, I don't think he knew he was the answer. He didn't know yet that it was all going to come down to him and what he was able to do to redeem the family, to bring them back from the brink of despair, from a place where they had lost hope. Well, now God's moving. Now God is planning. So she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Again, I'm a Gentile. And Boaz said to her at mealtime, come here, 
eat of the bread and dip the piece of the bread in the wine. Bread and wine. Pattern, right? Pattern, the bread speaking of the broken body of Jesus Christ. The wine, the spilt blood. Even back in Ruth, we see the pattern being laid out as Boaz, who is a picture of Christ, the deliverer, the redeemer, takes his Gentile bride and gives to her the articles of communion that we're going to have an opportunity this morning to partake of ourselves. Well, it says, Now when when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, check this out, let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Also, let grain fall from the bundles, fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. This is what Boaz says, Jackie speak. Ruth is golden. If she wants to pick grain in front of you, let her pick grain in front of you. And when she is behind you, make sure you're dropping grain on purpose. So she's gleaning. Now, she doesn't know the difference. Usually when someone would glean and gather uh, in that kind of a system, they would be able to gather for themselves enough for their daily bread. Maybe enough to get them through the week. But Ruth is having a banner day. She's just finding grain everywhere. Now, she doesn't know anything different. She's a Gentile. She doesn't understand how it all works. She's just working. She's just out there gathering it up. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out what she had gleaned. Hey, she didn't just pick it up. She picked it up and beat it and threshed it and and got it together, and she had the grain that she was going to take, about an ephah of barley. Now, if you want to know how much an ephah is, you can listen to 40 different people argue about how big it is. Whenever I see people arguing about all the different sizes they say it is, I realize that they have no idea how big it is. They don't really have a, a, a great grasp on it. The point is, it's a bunch. It's a lot. It's, instead of a little sack, she had a big sack. So Ruth has been, has been blessed. And she took it and went into the city to her mother-in-law and saw what she had gleaned. So she brought it out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied at lunch. And her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today? Now, who's her mother-in-law? She's a Jew. She understands what gleaning's supposed to be like. You're supposed to come back with a little sack of grain. And you put it on a table and God's provided our... She comes back with this big old heaping sack. And, and all of a sudden, Naomi's eyes start to open up. Where have you been today? How have you been gleaning? How is it that you've come to so much? And where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And just like that, hope is born. Naomi, who had lost hope. Naomi, who thought there was no hope for the family. She's going to be poor forever. God hates me. God's bitter against me. God's attacked me. God's afflicted me. That was her attitude. All of a sudden, in one, in one day, folks, in one day, everything turns around for her. You know that the scripture says that in the evening there is sorrow, but joy comes in the morning. That's how close we are to God turning things around for us. 
every time God is, we find ourselves in a place of affliction, we have to realize, man, we're right, right on the brink of God turning it around. Right there. It's always too soon to quit. It's always too soon. We never know that next moment what God's plan holds for us, how God's going to open a door, how God's going to turn a situation around. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relative of ours, one of our close relatives. That's not so pretty in English. She said, This man is our Goel, our kinsman redeemer. This man is the one who can put his hand in our hand and redeem us out of poverty. You see the pattern? Jesus Christ reaching into our hand, redeeming us from poverty. Isn't Ruth a beautiful story, a beautiful book? The reality that God really did this in someone's life and he really does it in our lives and he really has done it for the church and for the nation of Israel and you begin to see all these patterns and prophecy in the book just just waiting for us to glean and take what we need for our daily bread. Look, and then Ruth the Moabitess said, he also said to me, stay close to my young men. Is that what he said? This is so cool. Last thing we're going to talk about, and then we'll we'll go into communion. This is so cool, guys, because I don't think Naomi's heart was to mess it up. But we make mistakes sometimes, don't we? Now, how do we know God's, God's going to be moving in our life? Well, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tell us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your path. And I think Naomi is doing that. I think she's trusting in the Lord. I think she just got it wrong. But you know how good God is? Even when you get it wrong, God will get it right. Isn't that so awesome? So she, she says, uh, he said to stay by the young men. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it's good, my daughter, that you go out with who? The young women. Now, was Naomi there? No. But you see the fingerprints of God on the situation. You see God moving and guiding their decisions, their choices, the, the steps that they take. As they continue to walk out in faithfulness to God, God continues to answer all their questions. They're not going to be poor forever. They're not going to be lost forever because God wants to redeem them. And Boaz is going to do that perfect work. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean to the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. That one verse, 60 days just went by. Isn't that how it goes in life? Just seems like a little while ago, I was a pretty spry guy. And then, it went away. It went away. I was back home after I was with you guys a couple of weeks ago, climbing through a window. I used to be pretty cat-like. So I leap up on that, on that desk and go diving through that window. In my head, I was landing on my feet, kind of spinning around and opening the door to get into my office because I forgot my keys. That's how it was in my head. In reality, it sounded like a bomb going off in the office. 
As I slipped as I was jumping, and I flipped around, I landed on the windowsill and flipped over inside and mashed my head on the door jam. And the guy in the other office, he says, that sounded graceful. <laughs> Somehow in my head, that was different. Turned out okay. Was part of what God needed to do in my life at the time. Do you realize, folks, realize everything. Every time we fall through a window or every time we have a great day, God's in it all. Will you take the time to see the fingerprints of God around your life? Will you take the time to see God moving and making and shaping and doing his perfect work, teaching us to trust in him? Teaching us that sometimes we have it pictured different in our head. But it doesn't mean it's going to come out bad. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord and see what he will do. God is always, guys, in the business of redemption. This morning, as we just take some time for, for uh, communion, I want to share a, a final thought. And as the guys are getting prepared to, to come on up and, and help us with this, listen. We think, folks, we think, we look at our life and we think it's all going to come out a certain way. But God knows what he's doing, doesn't he? Doesn't God know? Because I was once lost, but now I'm found. How was I found? Because a redeemer came for me. He came and he, and he picked of the, of the bread and he took it and he lifted it up and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he lifted up the cup and he said, this cup, this cup is, is my blood shed for the redemption of sins. And so he passed that cup and they partook of that cup and they came to a place again. Folks, where God was able to redeem. What God does for Ruth and Naomi, God does for us. Amen? And as the worship team comes up and we'll prepare to... to uh, play the, the communion song. I want to just take a moment as, as the implements are passed and, and before we partake, just to consider, guys, just to consider that move, that work, that touch, that blessing of God. Recognizing God's never going to quit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul said, I deliver unto you that which I also received. That on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread and the cup. Just like Boaz took the bread and the cup. And he worked his perfect work of redemption for you and I. That's the work that Jesus Christ does. And we're, gonna, we're just going to pause for a moment. We're going to play through uh, this communion song. And, and we're going to take a moment and pray right now and then... I invite you through the song, as the song's going, as God ministers to your heart, go ahead and partake and remember what it is God has done for you.